This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit www.librivox.org. The Lawyer in Stageland by Jerome K. Jerome. He's very old and very long and very thin. He has white hair. He dresses in the costume of the last generation but seven. He has bushy eyebrows and is clean-shaven. His chin itches considerably, so that he has to always be scratching it. His favourite remark is, Ah! In real life, we have heard of young solicitors, of foppish solicitors, of short solicitors. But on the stage, they are always very thin and very old. The youngest stage solicitor we ever remember to have seen looked about sixty, the oldest about a hundred and forty-five. By the by, it is never very safe to judge people's ages on the stage by their personal appearance. We have known old ladies who looked seventy, if they were a day, turn out to be mothers of boys of fourteen, while the middle-aged husband of the young wife generally gives one the idea of ninety. Again, what appears at first sight to be a comfortable-looking and eminently respectable elderly lady is often discovered to be, in reality, a giddy, girlish, and inexperienced young thing, the pride of the village or the darling of the regiment. So, too, an exceptionally stout and short-winded old gentleman, who looks as if he had been living too well and taking too little exercise for the last forty-five years, is not the heavy father, as you might imagine if you judged from mere external evidence, but a wild, reckless boy. You would not think so to look at him, but his only faults are that he is so young and light-headed. There is good in him, however and he will no doubt be steady enough when he grows up. All the young men of the neighbourhood worship him, and the girls love him. Here he comes, they say. Dear, dear old Jack, Jack. The darling boy, the headstrong youth, Jack. The leader of our juvenile sports, Jack, whose childish innocence wins all our hearts. Three cheers for dancing bright-eyed Jack. On the other hand, ladies with the complexion of eighteen are you learn as the story progresses quite elderly women the mothers of middle-aged heroes the experienced observer of stageland never jumps to conclusions from what he sees he waits till he is told things the stage lawyer never has any office of his own he transacts all his business at his clients houses he will travel hundreds of miles to tell them the most trivial piece of legal information it never occurs to him how much simpler it would be to write a letter. The item for travelling expenses in his bill of costs must be something enormous. There are two moments in the course of a client's career that the stage lawyer particularly enjoys. The first is when the client comes unexpectedly into fortune. The second is when he unexpectedly loses it. In the former, upon learning the good news, the stage lawyer at once leaves his business and hurries off to the other end of the kingdom to bear the glad tidings. He arrives at the humble domicile of the beneficiary in question, sends up his card, and is ushered into the front parlour. He enters mysteriously and sits left. Client sits right. An ordinary common lawyer 
would come to the point at once, state the matter in a plain business-like way, and trust that he might have the pleasure of representing, etc., etc. But the simple methods are not those of the stage lawyer. He looks at the client and says, You had a father? The client starts. How on earth did this calm, thin, keen-eyed old man in black know that he had a father? He shuffles and stammers, but the quiet, impenetrable lawyer fixes his cold, glassy eye on him, and he is helpless. Subterfuge, he feels, is useless, and amazed, bewildered at the knowledge of his most private affairs possessed by this strange visitant, he admits the fact. He had a father. The lawyer smiles with a quiet smile of triumph and scratches his chin. You had a mother too, if I am informed correctly, he continues. It is idle attempting to escape this man's supernatural acuteness, and the client owns up to having a mother also. From this, the lawyer goes on to communicate to the client, as a great secret, the whole of his, the client's history, from his cradle upward, and also the history of his nearer relatives, and in less than half an hour from the old man's entrance, or say, forty minutes at the outside, the client almost knows what the business is about. On the other occasion, when the client has lost his fortune, the stage lawyer is even still happier. He comes down himself to tell the misfortune he would not miss the job for worlds, and he takes care to choose the most unpropitious moment possible for breaking the news. On the eldest daughter's birthday, when there is a big party on, is his favourite time. He comes in about midnight and tells them just as they are going to stand to supper. He has no idea of business hours, has the stage lawyer. To make the thing as unpleasant as possible seems to be his only anxiety. If he cannot work it for a birthday, then he waits till there's a wedding on. He gets up early in the morning on purpose to run down and spoil the show. To enter among the crowd of happy, joyous fellow creatures and leave them utterly crushed and miserable is the stage lawyer's hobby. The stage lawyer is a very talkative gentleman. He regards the telling of his client's most private affairs to every stranger that he meets as part of his professional duties. A good gossip with a few chance acquaintances about the family secrets of his employers is food and drink for the stage lawyer. They all go about telling their own and their friends' secrets to perfect strangers on the stage. Whenever two people have five minutes to spare on stage, they tell each other the story of their lives. Sit down and I will tell you the story of my life is the stage equivalent of come and have a drink of the outside world. The good stage lawyer has generally nursed the heroine on his knee when a baby. When she was a baby, we mean, when she was only so high. It seems to have been a part of his professional duties. The good stage lawyer also kisses all the pretty girls in the play and is expected to chuck the housemaids under the chin. It is good to be a good stage lawyer. The good stage lawyer also wipes away a tear when sad things happen, and turns away to do this and blows his nose, and says he thinks that the fly is in his eye. This touching trait in his character is always held in great esteem by the audience, and is much applauded. The stage lawyer is never by any chance a married man. Few good men are, so we gather, from our married lady friends. He loved in his early life, but the heroine's mother, that sainted woman, tear and nose business, died and is now among the angels. The gentleman who did marry her, by the by, is not quite so sure about this latter point, but the lawyer is fixed on the idea. In stage literature, 
of a frivolous nature, the lawyer is a very different individual. In comedy, he is young, he possesses chambers, and he is married. There is no doubt about the latter fact. And his wife and his mother-in-law spend most of the day in his office and make the dull old place quite lively for him. He has only one client. She is a nice lady and affable, but her antecedents are doubtful, and she seems to be no better than she ought to be, possibly worse. But anyway, but anyhow, she is the sole business that the poor fellow has. He is, in fact, his only source of income, and might, one think, under such circumstances, be accorded a welcome by his family. But his wife and mother-in-law, on the contrary, take a violent dislike to her. The lawyer has to put her in the coal scuttle, or lock her up in the safe, whenever he hears of either of these female relatives of his coming up the stairs. We should not care to be the client of a farcical comedy lawyer. Legal transactions are trying to the nerves under the most favourable circumstances. Conducted by a farcical stage lawyer, the business would be too exciting for us. End of The Lawyer in Stageland by Jerome K. Jerome